Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your also and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel, how's it going this week? It's going all right. Uh, how are you this week, Kate? I'm doing all right, though I am on a tight schedule. Uh, listeners, I have a hard out today. So that means that, unfortunately, while we have lots of thoughts about certain uh, HBO executives' choice of language and how it reflects so much of what we've been saying about Game of Thrones and other HBO properties for a long time, um, we're going to save that conversation for next week. Yeah, but yeah, it's just it's so good and so terrible and. Like, of, what did they say? Of course they did. Yeah. yeah. I'm not even a little surprised. More on that next week. Uh, this week, though, we're going to go keep this top uh, top of the show really brief here. At the end of the show, we're talking Jessica Jones Season 2. We'll start things out kind of spoiler light, and then we'll like give you all a warning, and we're diving deep into spoilers. Yes, Noel? Yes. Oh, absolutely. We have lots of thoughts. Many thoughts. Yes. On Jessica Jones. Um, but for right now, we're going to take a break and we're going to listen to some music. We're going to listen to a little uh, mini driver doing a <laughs> musical homage to a, a beloved film of, of ours. At least I assume you, sir. Oh, yeah. No, I really enjoyed it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and come back with our week in comedy and reality. We'll be right back after this. Maya. I thought that all my life would be. Fighting insurance companies But suddenly I begin to see Cordura time off for me Cause I've got a golden ticket A special needs mom's excuse to do jack squat I'll pick up for a season off the floor I'll see too bad in response to your Good morning I need to say off Too bad Calendar with the color for Three children's Sundays, it's more than four. Good morning, hon. <coughs> I have a bad cough. I can't wait to I never thought I'd get caught up with all of them magazines. I've hey. the coffee machine without a cup. Please, <laughs> they were silly. Because I've got a gold ticket. I've got a silly duty to fulfill. You said duty. You're not here. Again, that was Minnie Driver singing Maya Gets a Golden Ticket on Speechless. We're t- we'll be talking about Speechless this week in comedy. But first, we're going to kick things off with the Drag Race All-Star Season 3 finale, a jury of their queers. Then Noel is stoked because Terrace House is back. So you know Yay! you watched that. <laughs> and I caught up with Notes from the Field, which is from you know a few weeks back, but it's amazing. So I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Then we'll move on to comedy with Blackish, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, and White Breakfast, as well as Speechless, One Angry Maya, and Action. So first up, though, we have to talk about that Drag Race finale, because that was a bunch of bullshit. Yeah, I don't understand what happened here, like, literally at all. Um, so can you tell me what happened, Kate? Because I don't know what happened. Well, the first thing that happened is that my DVR didn't record Drag Race and they didn't put it up online. Like It didn't record mine either. Okay. okay so something happened there. I watched it on, on demand, but yeah, it was really weird. Also, I didn't record it either. friends of the show, uh, Allison Shoemaker, 
I believe perhaps Caroline Seated, though I might have be misremembering that, and I know Libby Hill as well. Mm-hmm. None of our DVRs recorded it, and it took VH1 forever to get it up on their site. So not cool. I managed to get spoiled. Did you get spoiled? Nope. Okay. I, I, I'm an expert at dodging spoilers now. I did so well. I did really well. I even managed to like kind of fuzz out my eyes so I could go to the VH1 site in case there was like a picture on the front, but I, sure, I sure. without getting spoiled. But then I was trying to figure out like when I should expect it to come up, and that included a Google of All Stars, and it came oh, up. Oh, never then. Google that. No, that's <sighs> no. That was amateur hour, Kate. Yeah, but I just I really wanted to be able to 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 watch it and and see what happened because mm-hmm. I was so f- afeard of getting spoiled that I actually spoiled yeah. myself. It was a whole thing. Anyways, um, so this finale, you know, I had anticipated that perhaps with the finale being called Jury of Their Queers and Participation and all the uh stuff with um. Handmaid's Tale, that maybe we'd be seeing some involvement of the Eliminated Queens again. And that's exactly what happened in this finale. I did not anticipate them getting to decide, like, two people to be eliminated and kicking out Shangela so she didn't even compete in the top two. That was ridiculous. And that's overwhelmingly the refrain I've been seeing from people is not that they begrudge Trixie winning, but that they think that Shangela, at the very least, should have been in contention top two over Kennedy. What What did you think? Uh, I'm, whereas I'm sort of like, maybe Shangela should have been in the top two over Trixie a little bit. Okay. Um. Yeah, no, I think what Trixie does is really, really great. And really, it's really well executed. And it's really entertaining. And I think Trixie is a great personality. But I also think Shangela has been really consistent this season. Mm-hmm. And... So I was sort of like, I was flabbergasted when Trixie was in the top. Did you think Kennedy should be in the top? No, but I I felt like it was a pretty safe bet that Kennedy was going to be in the top based on how they were talking after the, um, after the, um, questioning, interrogation, the sit down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that it, it seemed really likely that they wanted to at least have someone of Kennedy's generation. Mm -hmm. um in the top and they really wanted that reflected yeah um so and i'm cool with that i'm i'm actually as in like an all-star sort of mind frame i like that concept a lot i don't Um, i think it's bs and it's why the academy always picks the safe uh, the safe choice for the oscars (laughs) (laughs) um and that's fair um so and so that's where i sort of went with it but i also felt like shangela was just so good this season um so that's kind of where I ended up, and I also sort of ended up on I went, oh, all right, well, um, do we have three white all-stars now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that seems that seems okay. Obviously, I really would have liked to have a queen of color in the top, uh, in the, in the all-stars, like, pantheon. Of course, we should mention that Trixie is half Native American, Um but she does present white and has described herself as presenting white in the past. So that's, you know, there's been some discussion about that as well. And, and uh, mixed race and biracial erase, erasure in the discussion of this as well. However, for me, it's like I would have been pissed if BB had won. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> I would have oh. been pissed if Kennedy had won. I thought that it needed to be Shangela and Trixie in the top. And, and for me, it's just such... It doesn't surprise that Kennedy is good at the interview. Like she says, she does this all the time for pageants. She's she knows how to sell herself in the interview. 
Um, she she said all the right stuff, and she has you know proved herself. She crushed it in that uh, maxi challenge. She like her mm-hmm. her section was terrific. Um, so she like I think she earned her involved like her being in the top. You know what I mean? But I don't mm-hmm. think she was top two because. It wasn't just who won this maxi challenge. It was yeah. who should be the top two based on everything. And, you know, especially after last season, Shea Coulee won, like, everything and then didn't even make the top two of season nine. To have the same thing happen this season, to, to set up a scenario where your ability to get into the top two is reliant on... You not you getting votes from people that if you're Shangela and you did really well, you eliminated. That is like it's it felt like she got punished for doing a good job throughout the season and therefore being responsible for sending people home. Yeah, no, I I, I do think that that's what happened. And formatting wise, I think this played against Shangela in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, it just wasn't great, and yeah. it. It, it it sort of ended up being a situation in which, oh, no, Shangela, you were never Danny. You were always Cersei, and everyone came for you at the end. Yeah. Well, especially remember when she talked about getting eliminated in her season and how she thought that she the people had her back and they all right. you know, avoided her. The same thing happened again. The same thing happened again this season. And just to watch her, like, def- deflate and just but like keep that stiff upper lip you know yeah keep the face for the camera i was like so professional like we were so professional we were with you shanji when that was happening but no i thought it was just ridiculous and something that they need to not repeat yeah who who was it who said like it literally has become rupaul's best friend race it it has it i don't i don't know who said that but it very much has and it, it sort of takes the edge out of the show. And I'm wondering how much of that is just sort of a desire for like positivity and branding around this mm-hmm. or a desire to, by kind of shifting it away from Rue to a certain degree and to others, um, like insulates her in some capacity. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm sort of trying to figure out the, a lot of the different moves that they made this season um, in All Stars. Um, yeah. But yeah, what's the point of doing well and winning every week if it doesn't actually get you any it doesn't even get you in the to the top two so you can fight it out you know lip sync for your legacy like <laughs> well you can also just bow out i mean you can do yeah. that too apparently that's an yeah. option <laughs> well and, and just to, it, it's ridiculous and and like this idea that well kennedy needs it the most that's not the question the question isn't who could use a boost from like in their fan base the most and they should also realize that if they give it to Kennedy and Kennedy hasn't earned it, that's just going to like have a bigger backlash against her. Do you th- uh, I mean, I can see that as a potential thing that would happen. Yeah, but I mean, it also wouldn't necessarily be Kennedy's fault that she was in. It's not Kennedy's fault that she's in the top two. No. And I, I don't feel like that that would create a backlash against Kennedy. Um because she, it was, she didn't have anything to do with that decision in any way, shape, or form. But again, like, Trixie won this season, and she did a good job. She, like, yeah. like don't get me wrong, with a couple exceptions, like, terrific work pretty much all of the season. But there's a huge, huge little asterisk next, huge little, huge asterisk next to her win, <laughs> you know? Because Vendela should have won. 
And if she had to go up against Shanji in the lip sync, there's no way she would have won. No way. Absolutely no way. Because can you imagine Shangela's uh, lip sync to Wrecking Ball? Oh, my God. It would have been intense. It would have been amazing. I also think you could argue that Kennedy did a better job with the lip sync than... I think she, I, I feel like that's actually very true. Um, I was sort of underwhelmed by both of the lip syncs, really. Oh, but yeah. I think Kennedy was better-ish. Well, and you could tell by the way it was edited that they wanted you to connect with Trixie's, like, emotional thing she was doing. But, yeah. like, I didn't at all. I was just like, oh, yeah. and now we're, are you doing the hair thing the season after Shay's flower hair thing? Like, I don't feel like you earned that. Yeah. Like, you're not emoting anywhere near as much as she does. And probably just because of the, the makeup choices. Like, it's hard to emote through all that paint. But gorgeous. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Fabulous, gorgeous paint. But, like, yeah. I, I It was very frustrating. And I, I'm not surprised now, after seeing this, that they are going right into season 10. Because they want to wash that taste out of our mouth. <laughs> I was about to ask how you felt about uh, going into season 10 now um, after this. And I guess that sort of answers that question. It's like, please give me something. Yeah. Well, like, either either we needed some time and distance so we could forget about this or uh-huh. just, like, pretend to just move right on past, which is what they're doing. So uh-huh. are you going to watch season uh, 10? Uh, I'll probably give it a couple episodes and see how, where I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll at least watch the premiere so that we can discuss it. Okay. Um. Now, I know you're excited about the return of Terrace House because you've been tweeting about it. And we did hear from one of our listeners who enjoys your Terrace House, uh, like, rundown. So uh, this was this was this another, like, half-season or full-season drop on Netflix? They do them in parts. Um, the show airs every other week in Japan. Um, so th- it takes, like, a few months for them to get eight episodes in the can, basically for them to then drop in the other territories. Uh, so that's what happens is, like, this has been shooting since... It's definitely been filming since at least, like, September, October of last year, because um, they're up in uh, the Nagano Prefecture um, for this season. I'm so glad they're back in Japan, Kate. I'm so glad. I say. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, so everything's, like, fall and autumn, and it, it, all, it feels really crisp, and I'm really excited about, like, the new location. The house is gorgeous and everything. Uh, but, no, so it's a whole new season, whole new, like, start over. Uh, we've got six people in the house still. And um, it's such a good group, Kate. It's a really good group of people. I'm very excited about this initial batch that we've got here. Um, so we've got like a university student, um, a freelance writer, interpreter, or a snowboarder, an ice hockey player, a uh, model, naturally, because you can't have a terrace house without a model of some sort. Um, and then you have a little baby of a 19-year-old um, aspiring chef. And... One of the things I really like about this current group is that it's very sort of family geared in a lot of ways, um, as opposed to like we're roommates or uh, we're sort of like all doing our own thing because they sort of can't be all doing their own thing because of where they're located. They're about an hour to two hours away from Tokyo by like train. So they have to find, like, work already in the area, or if they're not already working in the area. And if they have to go to Tokyo, then they're they're gone for, like, a decent stretch. So I really like this um, location because it sort of forces them to be together a lot more. And that allows them to sort of, like, talk and bond and get into conflicts also a lot quicker, as what happens with the 19-year-old who is an aspiring chef, but he made a really flavorless soup 
uh, for breakfast. <laughs> and he, he also is sort of like mooching off his dad's uh, credit card to sort of get by. Um, but he his goal for the show is to become independent, but he's already being challenged on that by some of the older folks. But both of his the other two guys are like treating him like a little brother. So they're trying to like guide him and steer him in very gentle ways. And it's all very heartwarming and good. And it just it makes me very happy, Kate. Um, and so while there was like a big confrontation in episode five, which is as far as I've watched um, between the 19 year old and the um, how old is she? I want to say she's 25, the 25, 26 year old interpreter um, uh, about like his habits and what he's doing and his whole. Well, I've got my dad's credit card. If I need it, I can just buy stuff. And like the degree to which that is an independence and like personal values and this kind of thing came out really hard. So I was really surprised to get like a big sort of like confrontation within five episodes. But I also feel like that it's sort of built baked into the fact that they're just together so much, or it seems like they're together so much because of the setting and everything. So I'm really excited to see what the rest of the, a, this little part one has, which is what Netflix dropped um, on Tuesday. So eight episodes and then to see what keeps happening over the next uh, run of episodes. Typically, they run for like 30 to 40 episodes. So I'm really geared up for opening new doors. And to see what new doors will be opened, Kate, I'm very excited. <laughs> well, is it's a completely new cast, right? Yeah, no, completely new cast. And, so no more uh, person who's looking for a soulmate? No, oh, Tachi. They mention him right at the top of the show. Of course they Like, the commentators, like, discuss him for, like, a solid two minutes at the top of the show because one of the commentators actually ran into him Mm -hmm. in uh, Tokyo somewhere. And they're just like, no, he's very nice. Um, But, and he was very, very nice. But it was just like, we can't escape his shadow initially because that's how how large he loomed over Aloha State. Um, by the end so but yeah no there's no one that as like single-mindedly driven um or like defined as that um but i'm really i'm really interested in these dynamics especially because the snowboarder is 31 which i think is probably the oldest that the show is put on here um at least since netflix started doing it and you can just sort of tell that he's got a very sort of different approach to dealing with everyone um and how he views these generally much younger people um but apart from the 19 year old everyone's generally sort of mature and focused on their tasks but they're not doing it in like big ways and there's not as much of a we're here for romance or to find someone sort of propelling the action and i'm really i'm really interested in to see how long that keeps going okay well, I look yeah. forward to your updates because, yeah, I, I, I'm sure I would enjoy it if I watched it, but I kind of almost enjoy it more just <laughs> through your lens, like the sure. experience you get yeah. through, through through your your you know updates. So, uh, more on that when you have a chance to catch up with the rest of this chunk, or is it the entire chunk? I've only watched five. There's only three more episodes, and I feel okay. like that there's probably not going to be like huge shifts. But I'll let you know next week, everyone. Okay. Awesome. Um, The one that I caught up with that I've been meaning to get to for a while is uh, Notes from the Field, which is a one-woman show put on by Anna DeVere Smith. Are you familiar with her work in this arena? No, I'm not. Okay. Do you know who Anna DeVere Smith is? 
the name rings a bell, but no, I I can't place it beyond. I think having read like random things about notes from the field. Okay, well, um, for listeners who are not familiar with her just by her name, you like I I knew her from West Wing, where she plays one of the Joint Chiefs, but more more recently she plays Bo's mom on Blackish. Oh, okay. Yeah. She's, yeah, she's been like a million things and she's fabulous. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that's who that is. Okay, thank you. Yeah. That's all I needed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what she did is she took interviews um, with a bunch of different people. I think it's like 18 different people um, f- about the prison, school to prison pipeline. And then performs them, like their responses. She doesn't say the questions, but just she responds to, she like, acts as that person quoting them Um, and it's it's all sorts of different people it's you know from young people teenagers up you know like through journalists and through organizers and elected officials and uh, people who are in or have been through prison um, all sorts of different people and it's an amazing amazing performance and i had i'd had it very hyped for me before i watched it a uh, friend of the show uh elsa schumacher was you know super stoked for it and and i had heard lots of great buzz from that from from her and from other people um after she brought it to my attention but it like it blew my mind it's so good and she's so amazing um so it's about 90 minutes and okay. it's on hbo and listeners all of you Go watch this. Watch it because it's incredibly insightful and moving and powerful. Lots of like really interesting things to say um, that she that she has to say through her selections of which interviews she's going to use um, about this topic and about um, racism in schooling and in the challenges uh, of being an administrator or being a student in some of these different schools. Um, where they're just like, what do you do with a, with a kid who's like hitting the teachers? But then someone who's why, then why is that kid acting out in that way? What's going on in their life such that this is what's happened? Like, this is how they're behaving and where is culpability? And, you know, like it's, it's a really fascinating topic and really challenging topic. And so it's like, there's that level to watch it on, but even just on a performance level, she because she like she changes her um expression or like her the accent she's using and the modes of speech for each person to to really try to capture them and like towards the end she does um representative lewis and and so like there's a few people that she that she plays i guess in this that i was familiar with and it's just amazing how she captures them and like it's not like she's changing into full face and different costumes. Like she has some wardrobe changes, but she's not like changing her hair and putting on different costumes and doing makeup to look like these people. She just is a an amazing performer. So run, don't walk to HBO and watch Notes from the Fields, everyone. It's it's it is as good as you've heard. Cool. I'll uh, I'll carve out time for that this weekend. I think. Yeah, I would love your thoughts. I it's I think it's really remarkable. And apparently there's a whole she's done this several times. Um so you can find some of the other other performances she's done. Um I think there was another one on um great performances that she did on PBS uh, a okay. while back. So that's another one people can go seek out. But um I don't forget what it's called off the top of my head, but I'm sure you could search it up pretty easily. But yeah, it's really remarkable. Uh another different but very 
entertaining and and not maybe remarkable in a different way, but still really fun and, and interesting and funny and powerful. I thought uh, set of episodes was Blackish Respect and and White Breakfast, specifically Respect, which is the juniors having sex episode of Blackish and just deals with Andre and Bo's reactions to this and their attempts to parent and and then focusing very much in on Andre's. Uh, the the difference in his reaction to to finding out the juniors having sex versus finding out that Zoe is now sexually active over on Gronish. Um, what did you think of these episodes? Uh, I really liked both of these episodes a good deal, um, including the ridiculous uh, grandmother subplot. Yeah. Uh, oh, <laughs> it was. What is the name of that actress? Who she's so great. I want to say it's like yeah. Amy's something um and of course she plays josh's mom on crazy ex-girlfriend but it was so wonderful to watch her in this role and to watch her not have to put on a korean accent a thick korean accent that she does not have but whenever i see her cast and stuff they always want her to do an accent so i was so glad to just get to watch her be an Amer- be an American of Korean descent but not like a recent immigrant with a thick accent like Ah, oh, it was very nice. Amy Hill's her name. Amy Hill, thank you. Yeah, and I mean she's a veteran. I'm pretty she's sure been around forever. Hill. Yeah, yeah. No, she's she can basically do anything that you want her to do at this point. So no, I really enjoyed that. Um, especially how like Diane comes full circle on <laughs> on that of like that Ruby's methods of dealing with things are very much like how. Diane likes to behave, which also leads to respect and also and how Charlie's excitement at that Dre has maybe lost his little girl, and Charlie immediately assumes that Diane is dead finally, <laughs> <laughs> and is then very still disappointed. But no, so I like to how they sort of explore double standards in terms of Dre's reaction to uh, losing his little girl uh, versus their response to. They broke up. You broke up with her after you slept with her? How callous and horrible can you be? And just like this whole sort of rigmarole of where the um, where the responsibility lies with se- uh, sexual encounters, how you navigate that. And But I liked how this was done basically through Bo and Dre's perspectives, as opposed to sort of digging into like any potential sort of dramatic or emotional repercussions that this breakup had on junior is his role in all this is very minimal but it makes it a little funnier because of the fact that zoe isn't here physically for them to kind of gear into and to have her talk about it as well so focusing on dre and Bo, i think makes sense from a narrative perspective but it also just allows a lot more humor to come out and it also gives us space for lucy to just kind of be really disgruntled about no one listening to her and then her realizing how horrible it was that she voted for trump thank you writers (laughs) (laughs) so i really liked that and i liked white breakfast also sort of dealing with double standards of behavior and representation and how all that kind of circulates. Even though I also feel like White Breakfast is sort of maybe a plot that they've been sitting on for a while and just sort of like decided to do now here in season four. Um, But it was still really good and pointed, but I also immediately asked, well, if you can do something like White Breakfast, then I'm pretty sure you could do that episode that ABC is never going to let us see, everyone. Oh, Um, God. (laughs) Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that besides, like, the description of the episode sounds so good. 
It does. It it sounds really good, and it doesn't sound at all like controversial to me. But yeah. I'm also exactly who Blackish is preaching to. Well, it's like uh, no trouble with the gun control episode. No right. trouble with the Trump episode. But this, yeah. So I, I, it's really weird to me that that's where they want to draw that line, um, yeah. and that they're not going to like release it in any way, shape, or form. Probably is also really annoying. Um, but so, how did you feel about respect and white breakfast? I really like these, and I thought that tying in like a while after the choice by Zoe and Gronish to to have sex with her boyfriend um, at that time, and like letting that. But letting her have that like decision and that progression over on Gronish, and then waiting a while and having it like have repercussions here, I thought was terrific. A really good use of like having a spinoff without overshadowing the other. You know, like it doesn't happen. Like they didn't put this episode like right after that cash episode with of Gronish, and I think that was really smart. And I think it also really matched what we know about Bo and the kind of thing Bo would do. Bo just like decides like am I going to do this? Oh yeah, we're doing this. Okay, boys will be boys. Time to like yeah. loop you in. Let's 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 go there. Um and I thought that that it was just was really I, you know, I I could have used a lot more critique of Andre. Yes. Cuz the show they didn't like at all like Bo gave a few looks but it was really gross the stuff that he was saying and and this this mentality that so many people have um that like he deserved a hard shaming for his horrible like misogyny unexplored misogyny around this topic and he deserved more than oh I'm a monster it's like okay but like you're a little too flip about this. You just compared your daughter that you love to a used, what was it like a, a used appliance? It was like, like a, a radiator or something. Yeah, yeah, a water heater maybe a broken yeah. down water heater. Like you're a horrible human being right now, and there wasn't anywhere near enough of a like a like a sober reflection of that. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that wouldn't have matched the tone they wanted to go for, but it would have been a lot more honest and it would have been a lot less pat. And I would have appreciated that. But since they were going to stay very much in Andre's perspective and not, you know, like, I don't know, like, what if Diane heard him say that? Like, yeah. what is she? Spo- that, that's the kind of thing that can really shape someone for their entire adolescence and young adulthood until they, like, hopefully process deal with and realize how full of shit their their dad was and that 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 statement is not reflective of who he actually is you know it's just it's one part of who he is that he's hopefully trying to work on um so i thought i felt like there was not anywhere near enough of an awareness of just how gross this episode was and like like he was that andre was specifically being and Bo wasn't enough of a presence to counteract that we got a little with lucy like like the delivery of her i'm eating this cake to process being called a whore at my job again um the 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 maleness uh and like the and when i say maleness i don't mean males i mean toxic masculinity yeah that we see in this show um doesn't get I don't think it gets examined frequently enough, um, in my opinion. But it, all that being said, 
I did think it was a, a really strong, really fun, really interesting, and, and overall very thoughtful with this caveat episode. Yeah, and I, I think a lot of it is that they shifted a lot of that toxic masculinity to all men. Yeah. Um, as opposed to centering it around his white coworkers, where it's typically located, mm-hmm. and where then Dre is allowed to provide a degree of correction on it, and that doesn't really happen here. They don't make room for that shift in perspective here. Well, and they they have him realize, oh, wait, I'm one of the guys in that room, and she says right. that he was. Then she lets him off the hook and says, "Monster, monster Jason." And but yeah. no, no, dude. Yeah. Yes, you are one of the men in that room. Yeah. That's what that means. So yeah, I, I yeah. was frustrated that they left him, left, let him off the hook. Um, but I still did really enjoy this episode. And I, I, I'm glad that they're, you know, so straightforwardly addressing this. And not, and I also thought it was funny, like, just the swagger for Junior and, like, their... It was the, really good, yeah. Their <laughs> conversation I thought was also good. Um, The part of White Breakfast that we haven't mentioned that I got to mention is the thing with the teacher checking out Junior... Like that, that, what the fuck was that? Because like, as someone who works with teenagers, who works with students of like age four to to seniors in high school, like you, he would, she would never drop him off at home. That's yeah. highly inappropriate. Uh, yeah. Like maybe if he asked her to, and they like, she already knew the family kind of a thing, she would be a little uneasy, but would do it. But like. She was behaving completely inappropriately. And then at the end when she's checking him out, that's as someone who, again, someone who is a comparatively young person, 32, working with teenagers, that is not anything any teacher would do unless they need to get fired. Yeah, and you can tell that I just kind of went, oh, right, that happened, because I completely blocked that out because of how much I did not care for that. Yeah, it was just really, like, and, like, I I liked what they gave Ruby. I thought that was mm-hmm. terrific. But then to not, to have it be, like, oh, you're completely, like, if one of my students talked to me the way that Junior talked to me, that's something that where you immediately would go and involve the parents, involve the school, make a documentation trail to be like, this is, I did not do any of this. This is where but the student came to me with this statement and I want it on the record that I've not done anything to, to provoke this and like cover your bases. Cause you could easily, something like that. If, if some student just even overheard that, you could be fired. You could be like, you could be in a world of hurt. So like this took like that reaction from the teacher and then to be checking him out a second later, like completely not how any person actually interacts with their students, um, especially in as a litigious a society as this is. It also makes far too light of, uh, you know, students being harassed and being uh you know getting involved in quote romantic relationships with their students which means abusing their power over their students (laughs) in really gross and terrible ways um there was a thread going around twitter today of like retweet this if you heard about teacher student relationships in your high school i retweeted it because in my middle school one of the gym teachers was having sex with kids uh, so, so yeah, that happens a gross amount, a, like a really troubling amount. And that's not something that you should have as a cheap punchline blackish. 
Yeah, they're they're better than that. Yeah. Anyways, okay, let's move on to Speechless. Uh, because we got to talk about, I don't have that much to say about these two episodes other than I really enjoyed them. Um, but we got to talk about if only for that production number of like, yay, I get jury duty so I can like get time to just be like a regular normal person for like a couple days with just the responsibility of jury duty and not all everything else that comes with being a mom, but then specifically being a special needs mom. Um, I thought it was delightful and there was absolutely no reason to include it, but I love that they did. Well, see, that's the thing is one of the things I liked about that number is you don't get to see that sort of excitement about jury duty in a sitcom. Mostly it's just like, oh, I have to go to jury duty. And I've always been a, I get to go to jury duty because A, it's important from a civic Uh standpoint. But B, it's also, you get to not go to work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that idea of having like that day off and how excited she is and having that represented in a musical number is so good and so fun and it's a really well executed number um and then from like the dance from the choreography from singing uh to just the general sort of set piece because it's just like oh well we're gonna have her dance through a courtroom we don't have a standing courtroom set so let's do something like let's find a quick courtroom set that we can use for this uh which also calls back to the fact that fresh off the boat used the speechless home set like two weeks ago (laughs) um for um a um for a murder um scene um mm-hmm. and i was just like oh, that's the speechless house um <laughs> it was not the actual house within the show but it was the set yeah. uh, but i i got very tickled by that um but so i just the fact that they took the time to do this kind of a number and then they reincorporate uh reincorporated um uh, sarah chalk and had the sort of maybe a better way of dealing with a ray and what's her name reconciliation um i can't remember what her name is i can't i can't remember either so that speaks yeah. to our even though i like affinity. her and i like her i with do ray. like her but yeah i <laughs> yeah. i like the the she's he's out of her like let's not get crazy here yeah uh. yeah <laughs> and yeah no no let's let's dial that back so no i really liked uh one angry mile a lot um i wasn't as big a fan of action um so but it was still funny and enjoyable and i liked ray's um james bond-esque figure who's very into consent Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh so i think speechless um had like two very strong episodes overall here Mm -hmm. um that show the show at its best when it's sort of i feel like it's been coasting just a little bit this season um, but I feel like these two episodes sort of like tapped into good, really strong aspects of itself. Absolutely. I totally agree. And, and also that I've been less invested recently, so it was nice to get, yeah. have it come back with these two strong episodes. Uh, well then what wins your week in reality and comedy? It's Terrace House. It's back, Kate. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It makes me very happy. And I, I almost, I looked at it when it came back and just went, maybe I should just wait for it till like, finish so i can watch it all at once like i did with um boys and girls in the city and then i went who am i kidding that's not gonna happen mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> so what about you what when you're weak in comedy and reality um well i obviously was notes from the field um yeah. but that was from a couple weeks ago uh shout out to snl sterling k brown was really good it was very funny uh highly recommend if, if only for like the bachelor spoof they did with Mueller, like deciding between his two options of collusion and obstruction 
very funny. Uh, so, so shout out to SNL. But of these ones that actually aired this week, I'll give it to Blackish and Respect. Now we'll take a break, listen to a little more music, and come back with our week in drama and genre. This week in drama and genre, Noel's going to talk a bit about a couple pilots here that I didn't watch. So um, we'll see. Uh, For the People and Rise, looking forward to your thoughts. Noel will check in with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Real Deal. It's their 100th episode and was a notable one. And then I'll check in very briefly with Timeless, The War to End All Wars. And we have The Flash, Run, Iris, Run, and Black Lightning, The Book of Revelations. So first up, For the People. How is this courtroom drama, Noel? Should we check it out? Hey, Kate, have you ever watched a legal show about some young, scrappy, hungry lawyers that really just want to like do their best in the system? Maybe some prosecutors who really just want to enforce the law and some public defenders who just want the law to be fair and equitable to the people. Are they all hot? They are all very hot. Are there some romantic entanglements? There are some romantic entanglements. Huh. I never huh. would guess. Yeah, yeah no, I've seen the show then. Yeah, no, we've all seen this show. Um, so this is for the people. Um, it's ABC's latest um, legal drama. Um, it comes out of the Shondaland production house, um, even though it was created by Paul William Davies, who's been a writer and story editor over on Scandal for a couple of years now. Um, So this is very much within the Shonda wheelhouse of young hot people doing stuff and wanting to be the best and then romantic entanglements. Um, Case in point, Jasmine Savoy Brown um, and Ben Rappaport are on opposite sides of this divide. Rappaport plays a uh, prosecutor. Uh, Brown is on the public defender side. And they end up having, like, a fallout um, over their relationship over something that happens in court. And it's just like, oh, God, okay, everyone, let's do this. Um, So, yeah, no, it's very much within this vein of young folks just out of law school, more or less, or out of um, some initial, like, law jobs, either working for the public defender's office or working for the New York's um, prosecute, um, prosecutor's office. Uh, Hope Davis is the mentor over on the public public defender side. Uh, ben Shankman uh, covers the prosecutors, and they all work in the Mother Court, which is the Southern District Court of New York. Um, by the way, you can tell that this that this show really thinks Hamilton has like seeped into the public's mind because they mention Aaron Burr like eighty times. Um, <laughs> And it's just like, oh, guys, you're really hoping Hamilton just clicked in so that people remember who Aaron Burr is. Um, So, no, it's fine. It's well acted. It's generally well written. But it's just deathly the same that you've seen before. So there's not really much compelling to check this out. 
unless you're just a big fan of Hope Davis, Ben Shankman, uh, Desmond Savoy Brown, Ben Rappaport, or um, uh, Britt Robertson, who heads up like is primarily the main character. Um, but I think for me, the standout, at least in the pilot, is Susanna Flood, who plays Kate Littlejohn, who's on the prosecutor's side. It's very much sort of a Paris Geller, Liza Wheel sort of performance and attitude. So I like that character, but not enough to keep watching the show. Yeah. So. Okay. Uh, no, you can, you can watch something else. Yeah. I, I feel like everything you're saying, I, I, they're pushing this a lot. I saw a lot of ads for this one this week. Mm, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I was like, as soon as you started describing that character, I was like, oh yeah, I know who he's talking about. That is yeah. what I would expect. Okay. Well, yeah. it listeners, if it gets better, and more interesting, yeah. let, let us, us know. know. Uh, what about Rise? Are we all excited <laughs> oh, about boy. Moana? Or is the Radner of it all too much? The Radner of it all is just so much, Kate. It's so much. All right. How much of Rise do you know, Kate? Because it's just, it's so, the pilot is so bad and ridiculous. And I don't know what to do with any of this, Kate. Um... Radner plays a English professor who feels like his life doesn't have a lot of like oomph to it because the kids aren't responding to his lectures about grapes of wrath. And it's the so, kids, right? It's not him. Right. It's not him. It's the kids. So he marches into the principal's office and goes, I want to take over the theater department. And the principal goes, okay, do it. Cause I don't like the woman who is in line to take over the theater department. And she's Rosie Perez. And she's Rosie Perez. Um, So he's just like, you go and do that. And so he walks in. They're like knee deep in choreography and costumes for Grease. And he's just like, we're not doing Grease anymore, guys. We're doing Spring Awakening because I said so. Because it's better than Grease. And yeah. And that is essentially the pilot. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, he just comes in. He takes over. And he's just like, we're not going to do this anymore. And then here's where things get really weird, Kate, is that they're apparently, like, into heavy choreography mode for Spring Awakening when the vice principal realizes, oh, no, wait, Spring Awakening has a lot of controversial content. You can't do this. You have to do Pirates of Penzance instead because we already have the costumes and it won't cost us anything. And I have so many questions, Kate, about... Well, when did you get the rights to do Spring Awakening? B, um, you've done Grease four times in the past decade, so I feel like you didn't spend a lot of money on Grease, so you could just go back to Grease. Also, have you seen Grease? There is a teen pregnancy and potential abortion as a main (laughs) storyline. Well, they may just do the movie version instead. Who knows? But there's there's a song about, like... That's that's what Rizzo's whole thing is. And then it turns out she's not pregnant. Phew. Like, what did you think that movie was? <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, so this is basically Rise. And what's really frustrating is that the Rosie Perez's character, along with a couple of the kids, comes around to the fact that, no, we really should be doing Spring Awakening because it's, it's just what this town needs. The town, by the way, is a um, pretty poor area that the uh, mining operation or the steel, uh, the steel mill, steel mill has closed down. So folks are like really struggling for work. And that's what they need is Spring Awakening. How are they <laughs> affording to pay for the book for a massive Broadway hit? I don't know, Kate. That's never addressed. Of course it's not. 
Not in the pilot anyway, because then they get like knee deep into like pr- production of Pirates of Penzance. And it's just like, I don't understand the timeline for this episode in any way, shape or form. It's either a few days, a few weeks or like a month and a half. Like, <laughs> and who are these high school singers doing a good job with Pirates of Penzance? Who's the high schoolers singing Modern Major General well? I've, I have that question as well, um, because there's virtually no one yeah. um, in the theater department here. So, and the pilot is overstuffed with a number of other things. Um, Rodner's character um, isn't being there for his family as much as he promised he would be when he took on this project. There's uh, an affair happening between um, Cravel- uh, uh mother and the football coach. Uh, just all this sort of stuff. And the football coach's daughter, I think is the ostensible always the lead and Radner's character is like, no, I'm tired of her being the lead. So no one else. And it's just like, he's mixing up the system and all this sort of stuff. And it's really dull. It's really stuffed and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then there's just the aspect that for, for being a show from the people who did Friday Night Lights and follow a lot of the aesthetic choices of Friday Night Lights, it is not a show that says community in any way, shape, or form. And I acknowledge the fact that I've only watched a season and one episode of Friday Night Lights, but at least the town was a thing that existed very quickly and very off the bat that does not exist in Rise in any way, shape, or form. Um, it suffers for it. This idea that the theater is this thing that's going to uplift and help this town in any way doesn't come through at all. It's just like Josh Radner's character is very dissatisfied with his life, so he wants to run a he wants to do Spring Awakening. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, yeah, no, this is a hard pass. This is such a hard pass. Like it's even more of a hard pass than I thought before we started talking about it. Like, yeah. and granted, everything I'm focusing on are the wrong things to be focusing on, and I'm completely aware of that. Like, I shouldn't be yeah. nitpicking like the the moral subplots of Greece when to, <laughs> for reasons to not like rise. But of course, I'm gonna because I'm me. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair when they make a huge plot point out of the fact that Spring Awakening has incest and teen pregnancy and abortion and some other stuff that they're just rattle off constantly. So, no, I think that's perfectly fair because it's it's dramatically inconsistent. Yeah. And, oh, thank you for saving us, Josh Radner. Thank you for saving the whole town because clearly only you can give this town what they need. Only you are the frustrated genius, brilliant enough to save everyone else. And if only your family could understand you and understand how much they should sacrifice so that you can save everyone else and be a hero. His son's an alcoholic. He has two daughters that he sort of don't really feel fleshed out. And then there's a, the lighting kid um, is living in the lighting booth. And he takes he takes the lightning kid home with him at some point and mm-hmm. doesn't even like tell his wife that this is happening. He just shows up with the kid. Oh, gosh, he's like, the worst. He's the worst. He's the most Mosby ever. He's the most um, Mosby who's ever Mosbyed. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Let's move on. Uh, let's, let's move on. About, yeah. Tell me how you felt about the real deal and the 100th episode of Shield. 
I like this episode quite a bit. I thought it was a, a fun way to do a hundredth episode. They find an excuse to personify people's fears. Um, they do the ba- a long-awaited wedding. They bring back previous characters that we haven't seen for a while to save the day. I thought it was fun. Um, I, I they also have had a huge reveal about one of the characters that I won't spoil in case people are a little behind on Shield. But it's uh, super obvious, everyone. Oh yeah, it's not surprising. And but but it's like it's it's a neat little you know it's pat but it's still yeah. i'm sure i have a feeling it's going to come back up which is why they uh mention it why they you know have it revealed the way that they do but i thought mm-hmm. it was nice i liked it uh, i thought they had a, some good threads with colson what did you think i thought it was okay um it was such a it was a weirdly joss Whedon-y episode it was very weedy. <laughs> yeah um in the whole we're gonna do fears and we're gonna do it in this way as opposed to sort of like another way or like an LMD sort of sci-fi way. We're just going to do, no, it's a crack in the space time dimension and fear. And we're going to kind of explore that. And it was, it was fine. I liked the, I really like Clark Gregg's performance uh, when they're running through the whole, why this is happening sort of thing. Um, I think really salvages that scene a lot for me because it's very ridiculous that um, they would pull that particular rug at season five <laughs> um, or that Colson would even buy into it really I feel like is also sort of the thing so but Clark Gregg does a really nice job of making sure that you can almost you can almost see and Colson sort of buying into it um, but the wedding is just so good um, even though it's really weird to me that uh, Fitz doesn't have like really good vows prepared because he's the romantic one of the two of them and he has like nothing prepared mm-hmm. and just like I feel like that's a little off um, but I also sort of acknowledge the fact that I feel like the show is like wanting to shift away from being so cruel to Fitzsimmons and now they've just decided to be cruel to Mac and Yo-Yo and that's terrible <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, I'm still sort of enjoying S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, they've said that they're writing the finale for this season as a series finale, um, which I think is probably a good thing for them, um, since I think ABC is sort of ready to, like, drift away from Marvel as much as possible. So I'll be curious to see how this last little arc that we're in, um, as they maybe try to stop the end of the world from starting, Mm -hmm. um, begins to play out. And uh, how we deal with Coulson's whole necrotic death uh, deal with uh, Ghost Rider. Yeah, it would be nice if they'd actually stick to it, but I don't anticipate they will. So yeah, we will see. But if they're planning the the last episode to be a finale, then like series finale, then that would be a good way to do it. So yeah, uh, we'll see what happens. I'm not huge on what they're doing with Yo-Yo right now. Nope. nope um, not me. Not so either. Same, same, same. They're going to need to really earn that decision that they made to cut her arms off and um i'm glad they haven't just like insty given her robot arms or something which is sort of what i anticipate they would do but uh they they yeah they gotta they gotta earn that so yeah and the fact and the fact that she doesn't have arms in the future i just kind of went i just figured the creed cut them off when they kept reviving her totally that's (laughs) what i figured so that she couldn't like escape like yeah that's absolutely what i figured but and then they just do this in the first episode back um which was episode 11 and i just went oh that's really grim (laughs) yeah yeah and not okay yeah well it also like did they just decide she had too she was too powerful in her super heroic abilities because like because if she can move super fast would 
would robot arms be able to move super fast with her or would they like a prosthetic like fall off you know what i mean like yeah and i and maybe they were just getting to the point of sort of what legends of tomorrow did this week of like no you can't solve everything by running fast wally (laughs) because that makes the show really hard to write so, yeah, so stop. So and stop. I feel like that may be what they were sort of like running into a little bit, even though I feel like they've been really judicious in how they used Yo-Yo's abilities and how Yo-Yo's willing to use her abilities. And I, I think that that allowed them to not have the same problem that they've that Legends of Tomorrow very quickly nipped in the bud this week. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, but I'm very much on board with you that they need to earn what they did, and, um, I would really also just like Mac to quit. Yeah, um, really. Even though I love Mac, and he's my reason for living and breathing while I'm watching the show, because he's the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll... We'll see what happens by the end yeah. of the season. Uh, I checked in with Timeless, there's, and which had their season two premiere, The War to End All Wars. And I've seen like the first couple episodes of season one, and that's it. Um, but it's like a Monday show or Sunday, Monday show. And I was out of Sunday, Monday shows to watch. So I was like, oh, I'll check in on Timeless. And it was fun. And it was what was fun about it was that the stuff I am irritated by or I just don't care about, uh, meaning the Wyatt thing i still don't care about wyatt i'm sure if i had been watching all of season one i would be more invested but you know don't care about the really white bread guy that has a lot of angst yeah god he's he's just so boring yep anyways um still don't care about that but uh what was fun was just like that they had there's a, a season of like backstory that they built up for Abigail Spencer's character and her like family and all this other stuff. Right. That they were... And so like to just dive into that was super fun for me. I was like, ah, conspiracies and shadowy groups and like con- competing time travelers and the good and bad side of history and like all this different stuff. So that I actually had quite a bit of fun with this. The Curies show up, meaning Marie Curie and her daughter, um, and get threatened by baddies, which is which is fun. And uh, yeah, it was fun. It was it was a light and uh, entertaining first episode of the season. And I was able to follow it well enough <laughs> to go along for the ride. And uh, who knows if I'll stick around for more. But I very much enjoy Abigail Spencer's. I, I know that there's a lot of love for Timeless out there, and I'm happy that they got a second season after the show got canceled. So uh, certainly, there are way, way worse shows to bring back than Timeless, and, and it seems like they're doing, they're making the most out of their second shot, so I appreciate that. Yeah, and I mean, I watched a few episodes of it, but um, as much as I enjoy Abigail Brinsland and... Um, Spencer. Abigail Spencer, sorry. Abigail Brinsland, someone else Breslin, entirely yeah. different. <laughs> um, Abigail... Um, Spencer and um, Better Off Ted Dude. Yes. And it was enough to keep me invested in Timeless, um, but I'm, I am I know so many people who really enjoy it, so I'm I'm very happy that they're happy that it's back. Yeah. Yay! Good good on them. Yeah. Um, let's move over to The Flash and Run Iris Run. Um, Candace Patton glowed. Oh, good. She just glowed throughout this. Like, every time she was running... She was filled with joy, and she all she's luminous all the time. But she was particularly wonderful in this episode, and I love that they used this episode to inspire her to get back to journalism and to defining herself outside of being one half of Team Flash, you know, of her and Barry. So I thought this was lovely, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, there's like 
plot stuff that I've that just kind of follows through that I'm sort of like, I don't understand why DeVoe triggered all this when he knew it was going to happen to the boss, but he doesn't know who all the metas are, which seems like a weird thing for DeVoe not to do when he's the ultimate mastermind and all this sort of stuff that's been running through this season. But at the same time, I didn't care because Candace Patton's so good. (laughs) And Mm. the sheer amount of joy that she has um, was really delightful. Um, like you said, and the, the way in which, like, she's just like, I get to run on water, I get to run really fast. I mean, all this stuff I think is just really cool, and it's, she gets to do tornado arms and do them in the correct direction and all that kind of stuff. I was just here for a lot of it. And it just, what I w- just really wanted from this episode, though, that I didn't get that I was really frustrated by because we decided to take up a bunch of time with Harry and his thinking cap was I wanted to see Barry responding to not having his speed anymore and him having to go through life or like the day without it. And I feel like we've done that before, maybe? Have we? I don't remember. Um- yeah, well, I, we've dealt with his uh, man pain before. Um, like yeah, that. but just just the humor of him not being able to run really fast and that kind of a thing without like necessarily like the man pain of it all. Well, um, yeah, but I but, just yes, I, I I hear what you're saying, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't have wanted to take one second away from Iris to give to right, Barry. which which is why like I say we just take it away from Harry instead. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. I did like the Harry stuff though, and and but I was like a hundred percent with Cisco. Like, yeah, y'all are way too okay with him futzing with his brain. Like, the Devoe didn't start out crazy, you know. Like he was a yeah. normal guy who was just really smart, and then he did this to his brain, and now he's a psycho. So maybe <laughs> don't inspire Harry, who's a dick at the best of times. Right. <laughs> we don't want we don't want two really smart bad guys. Yeah. Anyway, but no, I do hear what you're saying about Barry. Yeah. Yeah, so no, but I, it's all made up for it because Candace Patton is amazing and wonderful, and maybe she should just keep her speed the entire time. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think that's all we have to say about that. Yeah, no, it was yeah. nice. It was nice, and, uh, you know, I just look forward, like, I, I love her on Flash, and she's so terrific as Iris. I do hope she gets more on Flash, and then after Flash. I look forward right. to seeing her hopefully break through and get cast in other things, because she she's so good She's here. so great, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's move on to our last show of the weekend drama and genre, and that's Black Lightning, the Book of Revelations. And so just as we're getting used to Thunder, we now have Lightning, which is Jennifer, you know, freaking out, and because uh, of her friend almost getting seriously injured, and discovering she has lightning powers. Now, I realize this is an adaptation of a comic book, and that these powers are the same as the characters have in the comic book. But, really? You're going to have the daughter have the same abilities as the dad? Come on. Are they lightning, though? They seem to be more like heat and fire-based to me. It's, well, her her superhero name is Lightning, and she mm-hmm. controls electricity. And electromagnetism. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm not. I'm not as familiar as I should be. I'm not um, familiar. I just googled it. <laughs> oh. Okay. Well, that's fair. That's fair. Um. Yeah. On the one hand, I'm sort of glad that we're getting to this point because it also means by the end of the season, hopefully, everyone will know in this family, and we can stop pretending. Yeah. Um. And I feel like that by going to Nisa, that we're going to get to that point much quicker as opposed to going hiding it for a long time it's just like hey sis um 
I got powers? <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Um, so I like that um, aspect of it. Um, but I... I I'm I'm fine with it. I don't mind that much, really. Yeah. So it doesn't bother me. In it's any a quibble. Way, shape, or form. It's a yeah. quibble. Um, what did you like? Uh, what do you think about the rest of this episode and like the the reveals with Gamby and the stuff we get with Lynn? The you know like the like the shadowy oversight, government oversight. The idea that this is like experimenting on again, like if this is another white government organization experimenting on black people, basically. Well, can we first? Can we discuss how wonderful it is that they got Greg Henry to be the personification of this? Oh yeah, uh, excellent casting. Because nobody does sleazy white guy really in that sort of vein better than Greg Henry does, and they're not even like they're like it's very explicitly written. He talks about how unclean the city is, the fried food of it all, and just all this sort of stuff is like. It's coded, but it's not even it's not even it's coded barely coded. Yeah, right. And so I really like when the show does this, and Greg Henry is just really comfortable doing this kind of nonsense for better or for worse. And so it comes out really, really nicely. So I'm very eager for more Greg Henry in this show. But I'm very excited also just about like the way that this opens up this world, which was sort of hinted at in episode seven a little bit. Um, where I kind of wanted like a lot of these components to be a bit less opaque than they were. Um, when we had Gamby and Lady Eve discussing sort of like their deals. Um, but the opening up of this narrative, narrative world of something as like, this has a history of happening in Freeland and Greenlight being what it is that I'm, I like this sort of approach that the show's taking and I sort of just again wish they had made it made it present in a more overt way sooner than in this last little run of episodes. But I'm very much here for all of it. I'm very much here for the hopefully like a we're not going to get like a long term breaking of the Gamby and uh, Jefferson relationship as much as I would like that because Gamby is just terrible. Um, but because they need a tech person of some sort, really. Yeah. Um, but I, I like this tension and I like this idea, like you said, of this shadowy or the shadow board or whatever it's called. Um, and these competing interests within Freeland and how it gets tied up into race and black bodies. And I'm just, I'm very excited to see how all of this, how the show can really push that forward in ways. And I'm, so I'm really, really excited. I liked um, the stuff we got with Thunder as well with Anissa and like mm-hmm. her her going out, you know, on this stakeout with her dad yeah. was great. Um, and, and Jefferson's responses was, to it are so good. Lovely. But there needed to be some acknowledgement that, hey, you just called a cop and told him he should come to this place. And then the person who came to that place got blowed up. So they're going to think that not only did you kill Lady Eve, but you were trying to kill Henderson. Yeah. Like, there was Which no I... acknowledgement of that. Like, this is not like a yay thing. This is a oh no thing. Which I imagine will probably play into the next episode, hopefully. The show, I think, is like gives itself enough credit to do that, but we'll see. If they don't, then yes, that is a major issue. I mean, like, I expect Jefferson to be a little smarter than, than what he showed in this episode. But I guess he did almost die, so maybe there's that. Like he said, yeah. endorphins. Um, okay, well, what wins your week in drama and genre? 
Uh, it's definitely the Rise premiere, Kate. Um, it was just really smart and on point. Uh, no, it was, it was Black Lightning and the Book of Revelations, even though they should have dropped that S, and I don't know why that's there. But what are you going to do? Uh, what about you? I'll give it to Flash for an Iris okay. one, though I did also really enjoy Black Lightning. Um, yeah. But I'll just spread the love a little bit over over to Candace Patton and, and uh, getting to see Iris do her thing over on Flash. Um, and also getting to see how useless they are without her <laughs> in the command seat. <laughs> Anyways. Um, okay, now we'll take a break and come back with our season spotlight on Jessica Jones Season 2. I'll start at the beginning. My whole family was killed in a car accident. Someone did horrific experiments on me. I was abducted, raped, and forced to kill someone. And I'm in here bouncing a goddamn ball. So how was anger management? Still angry. Some people call me a hero. Others call me a freak. You're one of them. Moron. I didn't ask for this. I'm just trying to make a goddamn living in this goddamn city. You a PI? I'm resourceful. People I care about are in danger. Gotta make a decision. One, keep denying it. Or two, do something about it. We belong way down below. I don't know how you handle it. It's called whiskey. Bitch. Call me a bitch again. Jessica Jones. with threats head on, meaning I punch them in the head until they're unconscious. That was a trailer for Jessica Jones season two. And we talked a little bit last week in the podcast about the beginning, like the first few episodes of Jessica Jones season two. So we're going to mostly do spoilers here, but we'll start out with like about five minutes of general non-spoilery conversation about season two. Uh, Noel, now that you've seen the whole season, mm-hmm. again, keeping spoiler free here at the beginning, yeah. what what did you think of season two? And uh, how did your take like four or five episodes in compare to where you're at now? I'm sighing and like mulling because one of the things I'm having trouble with in this particular episode is that, or not this particular episode, this particular series is that I find the shows in this season, a particular approach and um, topics and what it wants to talk about really interesting and really kind of compelling And I think that there's really strong sort of thematic sort of pushes here, especially given the fact that they don't have a villain really in this season and that they have to 
focus more on like an idea to drive this season that I just find really interesting and really compelling. But the execution of it is sometimes not great. Um, there's a lot of like character stuff that I'm not a big fan of. Um, and it, it becomes a really tricky thing to run and do when you don't have like a villain or an antagonistic sort of force to drive the action forward. And it results in even more so than like previous Marvel seasons of going like, you really needed fewer episodes. Um, But that said, I I still kind of can't shake certain aspects of this season. And I just, I, I don't, I don't quite know how I feel about it yet. And even if I know I liked maybe sort of what they were going for while not particularly liking the overall execution of that. Um, But how did you feel? Um, I, I was more optimistic Mm -hmm. earlier in the run. Um, And so I expected like, okay, a slow start, but it's going to start building to something. I think that, it didn't do that as much as I would have liked by the end. Yeah. And so like around episode, like there's a, there's a reveal in episode seven um, that feels a little bit, but then at, once you get to like episode like nine, 10, you're like, Oh, this, some of these different storylines, they're not going to build to something more. Yeah. There, there isn't more coming for Trish. There isn't more coming for, for Malcolm. There isn't much more coming for Jerry. We're just going to follow these threads. Um, yeah. And that was that was disappointing. I think that the show has some things to say um, around the uh, central figure, uh, antagonistic figure, I guess, and and some themes that are inspired by that. But it has nowhere near as much to say as the last season did. And I you you can't necessarily expect it to to top its first season because its first season was really good and. Uh, Kilgrave is, like I've said, I think he's the best villain we've had on TV in 10 years. I think he's amazing. Um, and, and what he, the narrative op- options and opportunities that that character presented and the way that they, then all the other characters could respond to and really question and push and, and, and declare themselves in their, their worldview, you know, like he gave a lot of opportunities as well as just being an interesting character. So it's not fair to be like, well, it's not as good as last season. What's, a little disappointing to me is that it doesn't feel as curious yeah. as last season. And I'm, I'm, and I'll like, not to say that I'm curious about, but what I'm sort of wondering is, is if that's sort of baked into this season mm-hmm. in a certain degree, in terms of not wanting to be curious is sort of a meta commentary on the larger thematic concerns within the show itself. And that, Jessica is adamant about not exploring certain things, about not being curious. Not wanting Um, to know her past, yeah. Right. And whereas Trish is very much in a vein of doing things that without any degree of self-reflection or um, curiosity about herself and her motivations, um, or we have Jerry not being as guarded as she typically is and that becoming an issue um as the season progresses and so there's there's a larger push within 
the characters themselves to not be curious. Um, but that I, I do think that you're correct and that that sort of limits exactly what the show can say and explore, especially when you don't have someone to pull back the curtain in a certain way, even though there is a degree of curtain pulling happening in the middle of this season, but without something to propel them necessarily into a larger action or to which is the larger issue that I think happens in this season is to not propel them into a repetitive course of action, which I think is the much larger issue for me in that a lot of this feels really repetitive um, from episode to episode um, that, 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 that lack of curiosity is part and parcel of what the season is sort of trying to get at. But for me just doesn't do a good enough job job of, dramatizing it in a degree if that makes sense yeah no it does uh it does and i think now we can get into some spoilers here so listeners if you haven't seen up like through the the, if you haven't watched season two you don't want to be spoiled check out now uh noel would you recommend this to people in general would you recommend this to fans of marvel tv but no, I can't say that I would. Like, I mean, I my friend Danielle was like really hesitant to watch it, and um, I told her pretty consistently while I was watching that there really wasn't a reason for her to check this out. And so I think I would probably follow that up with a number of other folks, unless they were just really sort of invested in this. And a lot of my informing that for Danielle is just motivated by the fact that she's just been kind of cool on Marvel Netflix, Marvel TV recently. So it's just like the, a lot of the issues that you had with this, those previous series are just kind of here again. So unless you're just really kind of compelled by this sort of dancing around that we've been doing, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this. And I'm guessing that you wouldn't either. I would say if you like superhero TV, if you like if you like Jessica Jones, the character, watch it. I enjoyed my watching it. I like I was sick and hopped up on Goldman's, but I it was very watchable. I got irritated at a couple of the choices for some of the characters. Not a fan of pretty much everything they did with Trish this yeah. season. But I still enjoyed what I was watching and if you're just don't go into it expecting it to be great TV, expect it to be yeah fun and with some really good performances and some yes. some some really interesting directorial choices and writing choices and stuff um there's one guest turn that i really enjoyed uh that stands out and again carrie ann moss she's terrific oh, she's too good for this show <laughs> i would just say don't expect it to be jessica jones season one and and if you're if you're still interested then absolutely check it out if you watch a couple episodes and you're like eh then probably tune out because it doesn't like, I don't think it comes to like another level at any point in the season. Uh, Okay. So now that we've danced enough, uh, I think for me, the two biggest things I would point to this season, uh, I guess three, the three biggest things I would point to like all the Marvel shows, it's too many episodes, but I think like, I really am puzzled as to why they sent the first five to critics and not the first seven. So like, why do you hold off the reveal that the killer is her mother and that the rest of the season is going to deal with that fraught relationship of like of, of discovering that her mother is alive and has been like following up on her a bit, but like had reasons where she couldn't like, and like this, this messed up 
relate mother daughter relationship like and paralleling that with Trish and her mom and like all these different like why would you not share that stuff with critics or why would you wait till episode seven of 13 to reveal that they should have done that way sooner all right so I can sort of answer the first half of that question in why they didn't give the rest of the episodes in that Netflix slash Marvel typically only give the first six Mm-hmm. and typically around six or seven is when the season's like little twist happens and they always avoid giving that last episode oh because they don't want it to leak they don't want it to leak that is entirely what's motivating this there's no other reason for it it damages them a lot when they do this because like, they get worse reviews they get worse reviews like the first five episode reviews for this were just very kind of I, I sort of like it, but I also have, like, all these problems with it. And it hurts the reviews, but they don't want anything to get leaked out, which is why they don't do it. So that's that's entirely the reason why, is that they don't want the information out there. That's the sole reason. Okay. As for the episode orders, it's just they're too in love with the 13-episode thing, and they need to stop. Yeah. It's just, hands down, they just, everyone needs to stop, even though... Also, we look at the Defenders, which isn't 13. Boy, howdy. That needed to be like two. Um, (laughs) So not always the answer. But uh, yeah, no. So that's why uh, for the episode counts sent to screeners, but uh, for screeners um, to send to critics. And then, yeah, they just need to. This could have lost, I think, maybe like three or four episodes and would have been a lot tighter and maybe a lot more interesting. Yeah, we didn't Um, need any of the stuff with Griffin. We didn't need most of the stuff with Trish. Uh, And the other, sorry, the third thing, I I said three things. The third problem I have with the season. Oh, I thought those were just the first two things because they felt kind of combined. Oh, yeah, no, those are the first two. And the third of three is that it's just way too repetitive of season one. There's way too many similar beats. And I don't know that they intended that or even realized that. But all this stuff, like the possession and ownership of Jess that we get with her mom later on in the season, it's very reminiscent of stuff with Kilgrave. And like the this the second half of what we got for fortunately only a few episodes with Kilgrave. But like, did, do you think they realized how repetitive they were being? I do think that they're probably aware of it to a certain degree in so far as they bring Kilgrave back right before that starts. Um, and so they sort of like prime that pump almost. Um, but, mm, and that's sort of like the thing with this season is like, you're saying, but a lot after you've like done this is that I feel like they're aware of it, but I also feel like they didn't know what else to do with her mom after a certain point because they can't have her kill Trish. They don't want to put Trish into danger again. Um, and they just, they decided to do a heavy handed road trip car accident re thing, a replay thing. And it doesn't necessarily add a whole lot. And it makes the whole sort of, um, conversation about, like rage and how to deal with trauma it just doesn't go anywhere when they're on the road and it that's to me what feels more repetitive than this sort of possession sort of deal um is that there's just there's no way out of this circle that they've written themselves into yeah 
Um, those were my main frustrations with the season. There's plenty of stuff that I did like, but um, yeah. but that's that's where that's where I kept coming back to. What about for you? What like what what worked for you? And then if you were there were particular threads that stood out. What what were they for you? Uh, um, let's see what worked for me. Um, well, like what worked for me is Janet McTeer's performance. Yeah, is just delicious, and her whole ability to convey, "I'm gonna kill some motherfuckers" with her face <laughs> is so good, Kate. Yeah, um, it's really good. Um, but so Janet McTeer's performance, but I think the performance is really across the board are really good. Um. I still really like sort of this thematic sort of push of, and this is like why I'm so conflicted about the season is that I really like this idea of dealing with this concept of female trauma and female rage and this sense of hopelessness and how to gain some sense of power within this um, and how you move past something really um, and the degrees to which you can or cannot do that. I find that really compelling. And I think that the show does a decent enough job of demonstrating that through, again, like Jess's refusal to engage with her past or McTeer's sort of, um, sorry, not McTeer, but Elisa's um, general sort of like, I need this one thing to steady me to Trish's. I just feel very helpless and I don't like where my life is and everything around me is being controlled by other people. And I just want the one thing that is mine and how all of this gets played into this show, I think is really interesting and good, but I don't feel like that they come up with good sort of or tidy enough or narratively succinct enough sort of, answers by the end of that season by the end of this season that sort of drives home that point and that's really frustrating for me um also really frustrating for me is as good as carrie ann moss is she's jerry hogarth is on her own show for pretty much this entire season and that's really frustrating because i like that character and it felt very much like peace moving to get hogarth out of her firm but still with her and corporation and all this sort of stuff so carrie ann moss can keep popping up Mm -hmm. (laughs) um but it's really good and it's really interesting to watch her sort of grapple with this idea of a found family that she's constructing for herself in the same way that Jessica's forced to be torn between her actual family and her found family. But it's just a thematic parallel and there's not enough. It feels so disconnected from everything else that it it feels extraneous to the rest of the show. And that's, I think, is that I think is sort of just that that was really frustrating as well. As much as I liked it, it was just like, this is so separate. (laughs) Yeah. And again, wanting to have your cake and eat it. So wanting to do something interesting with Jerry that ties Uh into themes of of mortality and who decides when someone dies and, you know, all that stuff. And but also... (laughs) Not noticing or not caring that you're doing the exact same thing you did last season where she really, mm-hmm. really needs help from Jessica and Jessica blows her off. And then at the end yeah. of the season, like, like it co- ends up, you know, coming back in a big way. And like, right. Like it, you're doing the exact same thread with that. Um, yeah. Jessica yeah. finds out the truth and then just kind of processes that for a moment and then goes, oh, well, Jerry's on her own because yeah. I need to go do these eight other things. Yeah. Um, the stuff with Trish, you're so much kinder about it than I am, and especially Trish's oh, mom. 
I don't want to like I don't want to make it sound like that I'm very happy with it because I'm not I I don't I like the idea of it I do not care for the execution of it I think her mom comes into play as like a thematic parallel way too late for that to be as effective as they clearly want it to be but the general thing of it I think is I think that the intentions are good, but I don't think the execution is good, and I get really frustrated with how really deeply stupid Trish is. I don't even think necessarily the intentions are good because they firmly established that Trish's mom was abusive, had her kid on like pills, and was like getting making her bulimic, uh, was c- coking her up and sending her off to to sleep with d- much older directors when she was a teenager, like. You don't get to walk that shit back so that you can do a, a nice contrast to Jessica's newly terrible mom. And they, they absolutely are doing that this season. Like, I like the idea that she doesn't see herself as a villain. That that absolutely makes sense. And that it makes for a more interesting character. But Trish, like, going, mom, like, in a positive way, as she does at one point in the season, is ridiculous. And I don't, I don't even think they know who Trish is. Because I thought I had a sense of who she was after the first season, but I don't after the second season. I didn't like them making this theme, uh, like her arc, basically felt like it boiled down to, but I'm jealous because my sister has superpowers and I, I want I want superpowers. So even though I'm a f***ing addict who is now 10 years sober and takes that very seriously, I'm going to pop a bunch of drugs. Like, Seriously? seriously it felt like a total betrayal of that character and a lack of any like care or nuance and then at the end when they try to pull i don't know if they if the show agrees with trish or trish is lying to herself about this but like she was gonna hurt you and try to argue that trish was in the right to kill her mom to kill her mom like that is not at all about you and i didn't buy that shot i didn't buy her having that gun that crack shot is so impressive and makes no sense. It, it just, all of it makes no sense. They were like, step one, inhaler. Step two, addictive spiral. Step three, question mark. Step four, dead Alyssa. Like, like they wanted to get to Jessica's mom is dead and Trish did it. And they didn't put enough thought into how and why. And I think the way that they did it is really unsatisfying and really problematic for where they're going to go ahead. Like, yes, I, I'm sure they want a messy solution, which is what they get, but she straight up murdered her mother who was not at the time a threat from like with, with no, no reasoning at all. And they try to portray it as like a sober act of helping her. Like it's, I didn't, I don't know. Where do you think the show falls on that as compared to Trish? I think that the show kind of backs up Trish a little bit in that they don't really interrogate like some of the deeper roots of like where Trish is coming from. Um, Yeah. And like Angelica, sorry, there was a motorcycle. Uh Um, Angelica um, Bastin um, over at Vulture makes a really good point in that they don't, the show doesn't really grapple with the fact that Trish is an angry white woman who has a great deal of privilege yeah and sees herself um as knowing best um and that they never really interrogate that 
And I really do legitimately think that the show is sort of thinking that even if it's that it's for the best sort of thing. Um, even if it's like pushing a wedge between the two of them. And I mean, even if you want to get like vaguely Freudian psychological with it, it's just like, well, no, she, 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 Trish recognizes that she's trapped in maybe this cycle, but she doesn't want Jessica to be trapped into this cycle. So she kills Elisa because she can't kill Dorothy. Um, so, sort of like psychological exchange of sorts, um, which doesn't make any goddamn sense. They, yeah, but... they didn't earn that. <laughs> that would have been no, a much better answer. <laughs> yeah, no, it would have been a much better answer, but it's not an answer that the show presents in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And it's not a show, it's not an, it's not an answer that even Trish necessarily offers. It's just a, she was, she, she was, she was unstable and unreliable that was basically it. She was going to hurt you was like the extent of it, but it's just like, eh, everyone's sort of hurt, hurting Jessica this season, Trish, including you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. What about Malcolm? I liked what they did for Malcolm this season. I do too. And Malcolm looks so good in a suit. Yeah. Um, well, and well, though I hated his haircut at the end. Don't cut those gorgeous locks. <laughs> and I'm not I, I one did- for long hair, but dude, yeah. Like, he looked terrible with that short hair. It did, I, yeah, I'm with you on the haircut. The Again, the suit was really, really nice. Yeah. Um, no, I'm I'm excited about where Malcolm is, really. Um, if only because it allows, like, a larger connection to Jerry, hopefully in a hypothetical season three. Um, but I think his overall arc here of, like, trying to keep everything together, trying to keep this thing that keeps him sober in, to a certain degree... Um, and how no one is really respectful of that throughout the entire season, um, is, is really good. Um, and yeah, I, I, I really do like everything that kind of happens with Malcolm, even if him teaming up with, um, Chang is like the worst possible idea for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully he got his license at least. Yeah. Uh, I liked also us seeing him work out. I always appreciate when like super built people on TV, we see them work out because <laughs> I feel mm-hmm. like it doesn't happen anywhere near enough. Um, but yeah, the, the show also didn't want to examine price like at all. Like he straight up had a sniper rifle and was going to assassinate someone. Like, yeah, they, they, they don't, they didn't want to examine some of the choices they wanted to make to make things more convenient. Yeah. Um, and like, that's next. That's not just like, you know, like stealing your paperwork from your office while you're gone. That's like a whole other thing. And uh, I don't know that they wanted to com- were willing to commit to what that meant. And so they were kind of just hoping that we'd forget about it amongst everything yeah. else that happened. Um, and I didn't. Spoiler alert. Um, okay. Any final thoughts on this season? What about like the direction? Did you did any particular episodes stand out? Did you like any of the other like performances? Well, like I really enjoyed Tenant showing back up for yeah. one episode. Well, the correct yeah, number. Well, I mean, he's just gonna he's just gonna knock that out of the park because he's just really good at that, and the interplay between the two of them just crackles still. Mm-hmm. And so I was really happy with that. But Kate. We've gone for like 30 minutes and we haven't discussed the single most important thing out of this season, really. Kate, I want your cray cray. (laughs) 
Okay, that's another. Actually, that's another problem I had with with this season and with this that episode. Um, I actually yeah. thought Rachel Taylor did a really good job with Young Trish. Yeah, but, no, she did a great job with Young Trish. Yeah, I don't think the show knows who Jessica was at these different no, times in her life. They have no idea. Yeah, that's a big problem. There should be a big difference between her. Like in the flashbacks in season one to the to like before her parents are dead and her brother's dead, and then her after her parents are dead, she she knows she has powers, but you know pre Kilgrave, and then post Kilgrave in in season one, and then post killing Kilgrave in season like she needs to have gone on like a progression through these really significant, very traumatizing in very in different ways aspects of her life and she feels exactly the same in that flashback as she does in the present as she did in season one and that is not good yeah and i i have like larger problems with that flashback episode from that to also like all the stuff with elisa stuff that we've already gotten through exposition mm-hmm. and we're just watching it and it's just like oh, i don't understand why any of this is here apart from they're really sacrificing like character and everything this season for the sake of thematic sort of interest which can work but again the execution in this season just isn't there for it um what else uh did you you've you've mentioned the direction a couple times so what kind of stood out for you direction wise i like some of the the choices of of the the shots like like the the composition i thought was Mm -hmm. stylish just like in season one um i thought i think probably season one stood out to me more but i I liked some of those choices in season two as well i um i wasn't a fan i know i know you really liked that purple paint that fell oh my god yeah i was gonna say i wasn't a fan of of oscar i like the actor but like they like they could not have telegraphed that more it's like we're prickly we don't get along i wonder if i'm gonna be a love interest very soon like it like it was really not i have a cute kid i have a cute adorable kid like superheroes i wonder if this thread will come back but i did really like i thought that painting was awesome and i thought they like usually when we see art within art it's not very good um so i thought that that actually worked and they earned that um very tidy to have that be your your fake documents guy like yeah. How convenient. But, you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, but but I like some of the, the different, like, lighting choices. Like, the feel of the end versus different parts. Of, you know, like that dinner at the end. With the, I, at least I remember, it's been a while since I watched it. But I remember it being, like, very yellow and orange and warm, you know. Contrasting yeah, the blues. So the dark and, outside with the rain. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was nice. Um, I liked the costuming. I thought it was terrific throughout. I liked some of the music choices quite a bit. Um, yeah, so and, and there was a, I, there wasn't a lot of comedy, but I liked what there was. I liked some of the snarkiness. I liked some of the the different um, back and forth that we got. Uh, I like. Liked... You having fun? I'm having bourbon. I'm having bourbon. <laughs> it was good. Um, yeah. So so I I've been very negative in this segment, but I actually enjoyed this while i was watching it i had mm-hmm. fun with it it was like an easy watch super watchable and the performances were compelling i think kristen ritter is terrific I've, she's you really know, good yeah given what they give her um but yeah I, I the more i talk about it, i just get frustrated because there's so much potential for this to be better and to be more than what we got in season two so do you want a third season then yeah i'd be, I'd be good for a third season i mean like did I want a second season after season one? Eh, less certain about okay. that. But since we've already done a second season, like, 
Let's do a third season. Why not? <laughs> sort of how I feel about it. How about you? Um, yeah, no, I'm definitely game for a third season, though. I think they need, like, a much more proper villain sort of sense, which is difficult to do with Jessica Jones, I think. Yeah. Um, but I feel like they can definitely figure out a way to do that. Um, and still be able to tell their story and to still comment on stuff, which is what I think both of us really like about this show is their willingness to engage in topics um, through superhero lens. Just this season, at least for me, ended up just being kind of generic in how they went about it and made it significantly less special. Yeah. No, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, so there goes a not what we were hoping for with Jessica Jones season two, but, you know, still a far cry above random ninjas in Daredevil. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> damning with faint praise as they say um a few show notes here at the end of our episode you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's tv you can email us theteleverse at gmail.com you can like our page on facebook start up a conversation there or find us in uh, the m4a chaptered feed and the mp3 unchaptered Find the M4A chaptered feed and the MP3 unchaptered feed uh, up in iTunes and in Stitcher. You can leave us a rating or review. We'd appreciate it very much. And, of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. And, Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much, Noel. Thank you, Kate. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, and thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. (laughs) 